You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. You know, preaching on Easter is different. It's different because Easter is just one day, uh, but from the time that Jesus rose from the grave and then ascended into the right hand of the Father, that span was 40 days. A lot happened in 40 days. So how can I fit all this happened in one day, in one sermon? I can't, but I believe God has still given us the word for us today. Do you believe that you are sitting here and God has a word for you today? Amen? You believe that? Amen to that as well. And so whether you already know Jesus, whether you are seeking after Jesus, or whether you're just simply curious about who this Jesus is. In fact, this morning, I went to Starbucks. I got a cup of coffee with my wife, and uh, I give her the good stuff. I go to 7-Eleven, okay? And um, as I was waiting in line, it was a big line, and, and there was, normally when I go, there's people wearing sweatpants Sunday mornings, right? It's just something you, you know, whatever, they're they're, they're just kind of wearing casual clothing, but this particular Sunday, there's a lot of people wearing, you know, their Sunday best. And so there was kind of a lot of people behind me, and then I recall this one person behind me who was not wearing their Sunday best. They were wearing their uh, casual clothes, and she whispers to her friend, there's a lot of church people here. And I'm just kind of smiling as I'm hearing this, and her friend says, yeah, like, I guess it's Easter. And so I'm thinking about this, and there are people who are intrigued by what you and I do, right? They're intrigued about this Jesus that we worship, about Easter, how it's more than on the way to church from my home. I passed by probably at least three different kind of courtyard areas where there are kids running around chasing after eggs or looking for eggs. And so that's what they kind of think, but for us, we know It's more than that. So we come here for Jesus. Some of us are seeking after Jesus, and some of us are simply curious as to who Jesus is. And I say all that because if Jesus rose today, then that means that he will be moving around the world, appearing to people and teaching people and his disciples for the next five, six weeks. Now, what does that mean? It means that his resurrection wasn't just a one-day event. So yes, he rose on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, but Jesus really kind of beginning on Easter evening began instructing his disciples for the next 40 days and teaching them something really, really important. Really important. And so I think it would be wise for us to kind of hear what he had to say to them because the reality is it's a message that he's got for us today too. Amen? So a couple points. One is this is that the Bible reveals the gospel of Jesus. The Bible reveals the gospel of Jesus. You know, Christians place a lot of emphasis on the Bible, and there's a reason why, because it tells us, you and I, the only story we need to know. Now, there's a lot of unbelievers who certainly have never heard of the Bible, or actually, I should say this, they've kind of heard of the Bible. They know about the Bible, especially here in the United States. They know stories of, you know, Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, right? They know stories of Noah and the ark. They know and the flood. They know the story of Moses and maybe even the burning bush. And they certainly know the story of, you know, for instance, David and Goliath. They've even know, they even know the, of, the, of, the, of the story of the Ten Commandments that was popularized by Charleston Heston back in the 1950s. 
These things are things that are common knowledge, I would say, to many people here. So many of us here have grown up pretty much kind of aware of what Scripture says. And so a lot of people here think they know what the Bible says. They do. They think that. They think it's filled with a lot of kind of amazing, cool, weird stories about heroism and miracles. And, and, but not only that, it's also filled with a lot of good teachings too, right? A lot of good teachings from wise King Solomon. But then at the same time, as much as they say it is filled with really interesting, cool stories and really popular people and names and, 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 and events, at the same time, in the same breath, they will say that it is also archaic. That it is also irrelevant to me. It is also impractical to me. It is also completely just outdated. Won't they? And how will they justify it? They'll pluck a verse or two, especially from Leviticus, about a certain hot topic issue that's controversial today. And then they will immediately say, as cool as the Bible is, the Bible still needs to get with the times. It still needs to get with the times. It's, it's, it's not something that I would ever base my life on. Sure, has some cool principles and guidelines of how to live and be nice to your neighbor. But really, if you think about the Bible as a whole, it's just filled with a lot of everything but a lot of nothing for me. Now, these days I have to admit that a lot of Christians have, I think, a strange view of what's going on in the Bible. Now, while the world may kind of ignore the Bible as completely irrelevant, Many Christians believe it tells us everything we want to know. Everything that you want to know. And that's not true. Because there's a lot of things I would like to know, but the Bible doesn't tell me. For instance, I want to know when and how creation happened. I want to know how the various races got so different. Black, Asian, white, all that. That's interesting. But the Bible doesn't say clearly. There's speculations, there's theories too, but... I want to know how God performed the various miracles which the Bible records. I want to know how God can possibly, possibly raise dead bodies long after they have been decayed. You know, I had a couple of people ask me before, Pastor David, um, my, my husband and I were preparing for just kind of our thoughts about our, our funeral. You know, they want to prepare for that. And, and they said, so we have a debate. I want to get cremated. My husband says he's against it. And, and so the reason why I want to get cremated and the reason why my husband's against is this. He goes, well, when the last day of resurrection comes, how will God be able to piece you back together? No, I'm not saying that in a, in a mocking way, but that's something we think about. How in our decayed, broken, rotten bodies will God be able to resurrect us and bring us together? Those are good questions to ask. I also want to know why. In Jesus' omniscience, in other words, his all-knowing was able or chose someone like Judas to be part of his 12, his intimate circle, his, his disciple, knowing that he would be fully betrayed. You see, the questions are endless, right? They go on and on and on. And wouldn't it be great if the Bible has some sort of Google search in it, right? Like you can Google financial success and the Bible would tell us where to invest our money, right? Or or something like that, or we can Google resurrection. The Bible will give us kind of a step-by-step -step explanation of how God somehow made that happen, or we can Google happy marriage, and the Bible will give us kind of this five-step DIY project of how to build your marriage and all that stuff, this recipe of what exactly to do. And the thing is, I've read from Genesis, Revelation, there's nothing there. 
And the thing is, that's what a lot of people think the Bible to be. But folks, the Bible is not like that. God doesn't give us a how-to manual in the Bible. Instead, he gives us stories. He gives us songs. He gives us these guiding general principles. But the thing is, all those things, it serves his one great purpose, and that is the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. You see, the stories that we find in the Bible, the songs that we read in the Bible, and the guiding principles that we find all throughout, strewn all about Scripture, all point to the fact that it's about Jesus. If you read the Bible and it's just simply a book of do's and don'ts, then we've read it wrong. If you read the Bible, okay, and then all you get out of it is just really a, a lesson to teach your child how to behave a little bit better and not to throw tantrums, otherwise God would be very upset, you've read it wrong. The Bible tells us one singular thing. This is it. Crash Course Seminary, right? ready? You get your master's here. The gospel of Jesus Christ, period. The Bible is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say that to your neighbor. The Bible is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what exactly is the gospel? You know, Apostle Paul, apostle, by the way, means the one who is sent out. There's these qualifications, by the way, to be an apostle. First, you've got to be the witness of the resurrected Christ. Second, you have to be explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit, called by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, you've got to have the ability to perform miracles and supernatural wonders and acts Apostle Paul, he gives us like this short, but I think pretty clear, concise, to-the-point definition of what the gospel is. And he starts off in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Now I'm going to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, and here, this is his gospel presentation now, and he starts off in verse 3. He says that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to Scripture. So here it is. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. Let's not complicate things. Let's not say, you got to also pay your taxes. you got to also be a perfect mom and dad to your kid. you got to also only be married once you got to also you know, never have any type of emotional, psychological, spiritual abuse or scars or wounds. No, no, no. This is the gospel, the message by which you might be saved. Understand, Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. That is it. And it was that gospel that Jesus in those 40 days went out and preached and taught and instructed his disciples in those days between his resurrection and his ascension. You see, Jesus taught them how everything the Bible said about him, everything, all the prophecies about him must be fulfilled. And that Bible specifically, the scriptures specifically foretold his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And he's saying, look, you know how the Bible was saying that I would have to die and that I would have to be buried and that I would have to resurrect? Here it is. He's going and telling his disciples and they're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty good evidence. Like, hallelujah. Now maybe right now you're scratching your head because you don't recall reading anything like that from the Old Testament, right? And you think it's, it's, there's a huge kind of division. Old Testament, blah, 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 something we don't want to think about, something we don't want to worry about. 
I don't want to read it. Too many names. Too many things I'm not to do, right? And I love pork, and I love shellfish. I don't want that. And then you got this idea of, well, here's the New Testament, which is kind of like God is nurturing. He's loving. He just does a lot of compassionate things. And we have the Old Testament. God is like, he's like a warrior. He's fierce, and he's angry. And he's just, he's a big bully with a magnifying glass over an anthill trying to fry us. This idea, right? But no, no, no. You see, reading the Old Testament, you'll realize that in the Old Testament is the heart and the preparation of the revealing of the gospel in the New Testament. Okay? And here's just a few examples. Hear me out. In Genesis 3, we got Adam and Eve, and they sinned. Right? They sinned. But what happened? God, he shed the blood of an innocent animal. He made clothes to cover their shame, their nakedness. Does that sound like the gospel? Absolutely. It was Jesus dying to cover our shame. It was his innocent blood that was shed to cover over us. Then God promised that the seed of woman would crush the head of the serpent while himself being wounded. Again, that's part of the gospel message. Jesus, born from a virgin, he defeated Satan on the cross even though he was wounded, even though he suffered. Later in Genesis 6, God told Noah to build an ark to save his family from the coming judgment of this cataclysmic worldwide flood. And that too displays the gospel. How? Because Apostle Peter tells us later on that the ark wasn't just a ship. It wasn't just a boat that saved people. It was Jesus himself. It was a picture of Christ who saves all who are in him. Right? All who are in him from Judgment. Jesus is the ark. And again, later in Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham and his seed to bless the whole world through him. That's the gospel because the apostle Paul tells us that the seed, the son of Abraham, is Christ Jesus. And now Jesus bringing the blessings of salvation to the whole world. I can go on, and I will. You're, right? And then years later from that example, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and Abraham in obedience and in faith and somehow, not knowing exactly, but trusting in the resurrection of his own son. He set out to do it, but God, he intervenes as he's casting that dagger through the air into his son and instead God holds him back and provides a substitute ram that was caught in the thickets that is the gospel again. In fact, it is a double picture of the gospel because Jesus is the son whom the father was sacrificing, only this time he did not hold back. And not only that, Jesus is also the substitute, the ram that was stuck in the thicket which God provided so that Isaac did not have to die, so that you and I did not have to die. That's what the Bible is about, people. That is what it's about. It is not a book about how to do good and be good and all that stuff. It's not a book about how you can change yourself because the reality is this. We can't change ourselves. We can't. That's not to say we can't pick better habits. We can certainly do that. We might be able to kick an addiction. We might be able to even improve our marriage. That's how Dr. Phil got all his money, right? We might be able to improve our relationships, those I must, as much as I rag on those self-help books, you know, the thing is, they are helpful. They are helpful because they can help you to become a better you. But here's the picture, here's the thing. By our own strength, we will never wipe the stained flesh, the sin-stained flesh and soul of our being. Okay? Because the real problem is not in the fact that you're addicted to cigarettes. 
The real problem is not in the fact that you are somehow cheating and lying and doing whatever. The real problem of sin, okay, is our brokenness and separation from Jesus, and that cannot be rehabilitated. You hear me? That can't be rehabilitated. It must be forgiven. It must be bought. It must be, di- it must be died for. We must be atoned for. The Bible tells us that there is a bigger issue than what we think. Most people in China world, they try to live a good life, right? You talk to any religion, any religion out there, any even atheists, people who do not believe in God, those who are on the fence, agnostics, tell them how you live. They say, live a good life. That's it. Live a good life. Live a moralistic life. That is just another word for the superficial outward behavioral changes. And the Bible tells us that the reason why these, we have these surface issues is because there's something deeper lurking within us. These problems are coming out outwardly is because there is a deep root issue within us. You hear me? And it has to be dealt with. But we can't do that alone. We can't do that for one another. We don't need a teacher to tell us how to be better. We certainly don't need an instructor to instruct us how to do better. We don't need a guru to tell us how to find it within ourselves. What we need is a savior. We need to be saved from ourselves. You know, the whole world says, you are not the problem. You are not the problem. So they say, find a solution from within. Meanwhile, God says this, you are the problem. You are the problem, and there's only death within. We need to be saved from ourselves, and that Savior's name is Jesus, and he died 2,000 years ago today. He rose from the grave to prove that he is, in fact, God. And that's why we come here and we worship him. But that's not all. That's not all. What was, God, what was God trying to teach us about the gospel and all the stories and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is, is that there's so much more to simply the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. You see, the final point is really kind of what shaped our, mis- our mission and our vision of our of Shining Star English ministry here. And that leads to our final point, that is God, he wants to redeem his world. Okay? Now, this might be difficult. Do you guys ever recall a time in high school or college where you had to do group project? Yeah? Yeah. Some of you guys are like, oh. Other people are like, yeah, it was great. Okay, if you say that was great, it's probably because you didn't do the work. <laughs> I recall a time back in high school when you had to do a group project. We had, we had a, a pretty big project. It was, it was like a pretty good chunk of our grade. And... and uh, it would be perfect if everyone did their part, right? We know that. But the problem was this. We all thought we could just kind of divvy it up like five ways. Do this part, do this part, do this part, do this part. But what we kind of messed up on was the fact that in that one and a half, two months that we had to complete it, there was absolutely no communication. Like, <laughs> no communication whatsoever. And, 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 and sadly, I found out later that more than half of the group actually had no understanding of the, of the assignment either. Right? So on the day of the deadline, we all got together. We're like, all right, sweet. Here's my folder. Here's my portfolio. Here's my stuff. And we all got together. We tried to put it all in one kind of cohesive layout. But within the last few minutes, we realized that um, even though we all knew we had the same tasks, right, that we were in the same group project, even though we all were using the same resources, in fact, even though we were all using the same language, everyone came up with a different conclusion. 
Everyone else was pursuing something completely different. They had different plans. They were building different things, and it was completely chaotic. And by the grace of God, the teacher graded us individually. <laughs> like, that's how bad it was. They're like, oh, I can't fail five people. And folks, I think that's the problem with some of us today. Because when we think of God's plan, right, when we're thinking about God's agenda, some people think, God, your plan is to make me happy and prosperous. Some people think over here that, God, your plan, your overall divine plan is for social reasons, being a social activist and, you know, going, going freeing the oppressed and, and stuff like that. And some people think here that God's agenda is all about feeding the poor and being charitable or cutting a check to the needy and just kind of being done with it. Some people think that God's agenda is really the success of modern-day Israel. Some people think that God's agenda is about concerning himself with our American American dreams, that what he really wants us to do is somehow just focus on getting good grades and buying the house with the white picket fence and living just a lap of luxury. That's what he wants us. He wants us to be happy and content. Maybe for some of us here, we think God's agenda is about healing our wounds. You see, and I, and I get that one, okay? Because I think there's a lot of people who've been hurt from the past, in the past, and even constantly right now, they've been hurt. They got wounds, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever you want to call it, by the church, by their parents, by their spouses, whatever. And so they've been plagued with this wound and the scar. And every single day, all they do is think about it because it dictates their life. It just it messes with them in their mind, in their body, in their souls. And they're thinking, God, I'm crying out to you. And so every prayer is about God, rescue me from this. Every prayer is about God, relieve me from this wound. And so we have this idea that. God's agenda for my life is about centered on my wounds and the healing of it. You, you get what I'm saying here? And the, and the problems I'm in, and God, I need you to fix it. God, I need a particular freedom from this. I need a job, a better job than the one I have. I need a better career than the one I have. God, because this is my focus, and I want it to be your focus too. And so maybe we think that God's agenda is simply about all my wants and all my needs. And the reality is we all have deferring agendas and thoughts of what God is trying to do in and through our lives, but from our text, thanks be to God. Because Jesus, he makes it clear that he's got this one singular agenda, and that is to redeem the world. Redeem the world. And so when we pray, we pray saying, man, so God, this is where I'm at, and so this is what I need from you. And and let's be honest, really, the only reason we pray or walk in our faith at times is really because we're simply trying to keep God in check. You hear me? We're trying to keep God in check. God, you, you still working on helping me build my resume? God, are you still working on my debts and financial needs right now? God, you still working on that girl I really like? We make God's agenda ours, or we rather the other way around. The plans of God, hear me out, the plans of God may have you in it, but his plans are not just about you. And we get that from verse 47. It says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that is, and here it is, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Okay? Reading this just now, 
I don't recall hearing anything about David, me. I don't hear anything about Grace, my wife, or really anyone else's name here. All I see here is that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in whose name? In his name, in Jesus' name. Okay? That is the goal. That is the agenda. That forgiveness of sins, repentance should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to all nations. So what is repentance? What is forgiveness? It is the way in which God redeems the world because it was the way that God redeemed you. You want to save the world? You've seen those commercials? It starts by picking up one piece of trash. That's what they say, right? To recycle. Buy an electric vehicle. No, no, no. You want to save the world? You want to be part of God's plan? It begins with repentance and forgiveness. This is how God redeemed you. And folks, this is how God will redeem the nations. We need God's redemption because without it, we're separated from God. Without it, we're separated from races. Between races, without it, we're separated between cultures. Without it, we're separated between generations. Without it, we're separated between husbands and wives and parents and children and members of the family to other members of the family with all differing points of view. You see how chaotic and divisive this whole thing is. And so what's the answer to all these rampant and seemingly unsolvable problems? The answer is this. At the end of the day, God, I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling in my relationship with my parents. I'm struggling in my relationship with my family members. I'm st- struggling in my relationship with my coworkers and with, my, with you, God. The answer is repentance and forgiveness. Because it's only through repentance and forgiveness that can bring reconciliation. You hear that? And this is a controversial statement because we're taught in this world Never to admit you're wrong. <laughs> the first thing I ever learned when I got my driver's license is from my driving instructor. He said, hey, if you ever get in a car accident, even if it's your fault, don't ever come out of the car and say, I'm sorry. Because then you're admitting you're wrong. He said, don't ever admit you're wrong. So we're taught to kind of keep our heads up high. We're taught to be proud and unapologetic. But folks, in order to be saved, to be part of God's redemptive plan, we're told to do the complete opposite. We're told to lower ourselves and to admit our faults, to confess our sins, to make transparent our brokenness, and to reveal our wounds because we need salvation. And here's the thing. To repent and ask for forgiveness means that someone has to forgive you. Because we can apologize to some for the things that we've done to them, but those sins were still committed. They're still, a very, they're still very much a part of our lives, a part of our history. The person can say, I forgive you, but even that forgiveness, it can't undo all the wrong that has already been done. So no, we need a forgiveness that will wipe the slate clean. We need a forgiveness that doesn't just pass over sin, but completely removes it. You get that? But how can we ever find that kind of forgiveness? Friends, that's what the gospel does. Because the gospel tells us that God grants repentance, and in granting that repentance and leading us to repent, God grants what? Forgiveness. He is able to change our hearts, something that you and I can't do for ourselves. You see, sin, it can't be swept under the rug. After all, it's been committed. There were very real events in our lives that have hurt us, that have hurt others, and have offended, most importantly, the holiness of God. There has to be some sort of payment for our sins. 
That has to be payment for our sins. And the payment, like the Bible says, is death. But by his grace, God not only gives us the grace of repentance, but he also gives us the grace of forgiveness. So if we, if we approach his throne of mercy, he forgives you and he forgives me by putting his own son on the cross who paid for it and paid it in full. And what's amazing is that he doesn't treat us the way that we ought to be treated because of the disgusting sins we committed. No, instead, God, you see, he removes our guilt from us as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. And when he forgives, he remembers them no more. That's why a Christian who lives a life of guilt, that doesn't make sense. God removes it as far as the east is from the west. And when he forgives, he remembers them no more, and he doesn't use it against us. And folks, that redemption is not just for the middle-class Americans here. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for, for the people in your pocket of influence or your whatever. It is for the people of all nations. You know that? You see, from the moment sin entered his creation, God has set in motion the plan of redemption to reclaim it. Look at verse 48. It says, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things, meaning that it is our agenda as a church. We're not called to be spectators or just kind of critics of the world. We're called to be witnesses telling that we know of Jesus and that he suffered and died from the dead. So every month we have these outreaches, right? Our life groups go on these outreaches. Yesterday we had uh, Kathy and Jesse's life group. They went out to Mosaic District here, right, uh, right, right down the road where where I would say the people that they encountered, 99.9999% of them had gone or had come to Mosaic District area to shop, to, to, to eat, and to pretty much just have fun. But so here we have the small group of individ individuals from our church who, who believe that God has called them, called them to be witnesses of these things. And so they went out. It was a beautiful day. Thank the Lord for that. But they went out to do what? to eat with them, to have fun with them, they had one singular agenda. It was not their own, but it was God's. It was to share the gospel. It was to share the gospel, and what was the result? Folks, what was the result? Did you hear in the newspaper there was a revival at the Mosaic District? How dare you laugh? But no, there wasn't. There wasn't a revival. There weren't people who were just throwing themselves before the Lord, saying, please forgive me or anything like that. No. But that's okay. Because the result, praise be to God, is not up to us. Right? God's redemption, his plan, his divine agenda of the world coming to know him will happen one day. One day all knees will bow. One day all tongues will confess. One day all will proclaim that he is Lord but yesterday and today and tomorrow, as we act as witnesses, he calls us to obey. He calls us to be faithful, even when it's just so difficult. Even when it's so unpopular. Even when it just, it's not your calling, your gift. He wants us, because he has called us, to play part in his agenda, and that is to be a witness to these things. We're called to be witnesses who model repentance from our sins and who model forgiveness to others just the way that God has shown us up on that cross. And yeah, it might seem impossible, and, but we're told here in verse 49, 
that will be clothed from power on high. That means this, the Holy Spirit will empower you. Get that? Holy Spirit, you're, okay. <clears throat> you don't have to try to articulate it so well that you can somehow uh, influence them or, or kind of twist or do whatever you can, manipulate them to understand. No, no. You see, Holy Spirit will do the work. Holy Spirit will empower us just empower us to live well and empower us to live in peace. No, no, no. He will empower us so that we can live lives of repentance. He will empower us so that we can live lives empowered to forgive. Being a witness is just as much for your faith as it is for those you desire to come to faith. You hear that? It's just as much for you and your growth. For three years, Jesus preached and he taught his disciples, but they failed to understand. So after his resurrection, when his work had been perfectly displayed, Jesus spent another 40 days teaching his disciples what they were supposed to do in the world. So he taught them the point of scriptures that all of it, all of it from Genesis, Revelation, everything pointed to the gospel of his death and his resurrection. But he also taught them that God's agenda is to redeem the world. Those are the two points. So maybe today you're all new to this. Maybe you came because for years your family dragged you to come on Easter Sunday, but I believe that you have come here because the Lord has brought you here. Amen? And you're here because today the Lord through his word has revealed to you a solution to the chaos that is in your life, to your sin issue. God is extending his grace of repentance to you today, and in that repentance, he will grace you with forgiveness. This forgiveness will close that eternity-sized chasm between you and him and will unite you to this amazing purpose and plan and presence of God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins so that if you believe and if you confess that Jesus died and rose from the grave, you will be saved. Why? Because it's God's plan to redeem you and to redeem the world so that all might see the spectacular glory of God who loves us. Folks, this Easter Sunday, as we worship and say he is risen, this is what it's all about. This is what our faith is about. This is what our church is about. This is what our Bible is about. This is what our lives are about. This is what our community, our life group, and everything that we are trying to establish and develop and just advance here in Shining Star is all about. It is about the glory of Jesus Christ who died 2,000 years ago and he was buried, but in three days he rose from the grave to conquer sin and death. And those who believe in him will have eternal life and though we still face the pains and the sufferings and the difficulty of this world, we know that there is hope everlasting. That if you were to die today, that you will be in the sweet embrace of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And that the greatest gift that you could ever have, the best received promise and blessing that you could ever have from the Lord is not a better career or a family or children or anything like that. But if you have Jesus, you've got it all. And we can worship him. And you can be happy. So let's live, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. As we bow our heads in prayer and as we kind of mull over what you've just heard, knowing that this authority in our lives, that is 
I'm talking about the Bible. This authority is not just talking about some traditional or, or some guideline type of thing or a list of principles and things to live by, although it does contain all those things. But if we're going to live by and memorize and study and meditate on Scripture, then understand that we are studying and that we're meditating and we are memorizing Christ. Do you have a heart where you can look at Christ and say, I want to know you? I want to know you. Maybe that should be our prayer today. It's not that I just want to know you, but maybe I want to know you more. Christ, I want to memorize you. I want to be head over heels in love with you. I want to know that when my life does turn upside down, and it does, and maybe right now it has, that you can say confidently that Jesus, you've got the whole world in your hands. So let's take a moment. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray. And now at this time, uh, if you could take a moment as we, this being the first Sunday of the month and the most especially because it is Easter Sunday, that we would take a time to celebrate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection uh, by taking the Lord's Supper together. So in our prayers, that you would consider what this means. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a follower, a disciple, means to imitate him, to pursue him, to know that he is not just the savior of your life, but he is the master of your life as well. That what he says goes. That he is supreme, that he knows all, that he is in control, that he provides, that he is God, that he's your king. And if you recognize that and surrender to that as a follower of Christ, you see, God, he calls us then to understand that in order for that to have happened, and you would have to, have to understand the sins that Christ died for. What made Jesus go up on that cross. So folks, brothers and sisters, take this time and get right before the Lord. It's very simple. Just get right before the Lord. If you argue with your spouse on the way to church, get right before the Lord. Humble yourself. If right now you're thinking... God, I, I wish someone else was here to man, hear this message. No, this message is for you. Get right before the Lord. God, speak to me. What sin I'm harboring, what sin I'm just kind of allowing to control and to fester from within. God, remove this from me. I know you have the power. I know you've, you've already overcome for in the, on the cross when you died. Lord, you have gained victory over my life. Examine yourself. Judge yourself. And when you are ready, after this time of repentance and seeking after the forgiveness of the Lord, please stand up and come join us and partake in the Lord's Supper with the church. This is for the followers of Christ. If you are unsaved, if you are not a believer and you're simply seeking and interested in what's going on, I would encourage you to stay seated and simply reflect 
on what you've just heard in the gospel message. And I would encourage you to even come talk to me afterwards if you have any questions. Let's all bow our heads. I read from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Holy God, we pray this prayer centered around that memory. The memory of Jesus' body broken on our behalf. The memory of blood shed by the Christ to establish the new covenant. We thank you, Lord, that you took our pain. We thank you, Lord, that you took our shame. And that in you, Jesus, that there is freedom. And we have the freedom here to not live as we want, but to live in true freedom, and that is live empowered by the Holy Spirit. To live in a way that we pursue a greater agenda than our own personal ambition of success and wealth and happiness, but Lord, an agenda, Lord, that has to do with the whole world. A plan that has to do with your glory. We thank you, Lord, for the sins that have been repented today, and we know that you are good and faithful to forgive us. And at this time, as we as a body come together and as we not only hear the word and sing these songs, but as we now partake in these elements, God, I pray that you be honored. And so we worship you and we thank you for the sending of your son to die on our behalf. But we rejoice in the fact that today that he is risen and he is alive and well at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus, we honor you, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please join me.